Praise be to God for the hope that we have because of Jesus. This morning I invite you, dear church, to open God's word to the book of Revelation chapter 5. We'll be reading from verse 1 to the end of the chapter. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the chair in front of you. You may find this passage in our pew Bible on page number uh, 1030. 1030. Here is God's word for us this morning. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow your heads asking the Lord to bless the preaching of his word and to bless our hearts as we are ready to hear. Pray with me. Almighty God, you are a glorious God. 
This morning as we approach your word, we want to join in in the worship of heaven, in the praises, in the adoration that the angels bring towards the Lamb. Almighty God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would assist us as we expound your word, as we hear it, assist us to, to understand, assist us to adore, assist us to turn our hearts, our attentions, and our affections towards you and towards the Lamb. We pray all this in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, we live in a time, in a society, that loves to honor those who do something great. Whether it is in the world of entertainment, the award ceremony for, for those who make up the movies, whether it is in the world of, uh, of our jobs and we hear about people who receive the award of the year, whether it is in our neighborhoods, when uh, even our neighborhoods, we have the award of the month for the neighbors, for those who prepare the their yards to be the most nice looking. It's, it's not nice now, but spring will come and it'll get there. We love to give awards to those who do something to merit it. Well, this morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture where the entire angelic creation, and, and really actually all creation, comes to declare worth, comes to declare value, comes to declare praises to someone in heaven who sits on the throne and is not referring to God, the Father, the Almighty. Someone else besides God Almighty is receiving glory, majesty, worth, power, honor, and might. And that someone else is a lamb. This morning, we are looking at the vision of Revelation chapter 5, uh, a vision that really belongs together with what started in chapter 4. And if you're new to our congregation, if you're visiting, we are going through the book of Revelation this, uh, this spring semester and praying that God would show us uh, the beauty of His plans, of His decrees, of what He reveals to do, what He is about to do. And we pray that the Lord would show us, even this morning, uh, what happens at the, at the center of God's decrees with this world? The vision of chapter 5 is a vision about the Lamb who is worthy. Uh, this, this vision belongs together in chapter 4. And just a, for those of you who are visiting for the first time, in chapter 4, John was taken up by the Spirit to heaven to have a vision of the throne room of God. In chapter 4, uh, John describes for us how he saw God as a, as a precious stone reigning on his throne. His radiance was so magnificent that the only thing that John had to describe it is as, as two precious stones. And then John saw around the throne 24 elders, and they too were sitting on their thrones. But they were casting down their crowns before God, and they were ascribing the glory, the honor, the power they were ascribing all of that to God. Why? Because they say, because he, God created all things and by His will all things have come into existence. Their worship was focused on God day and night. And then the, 
the other four living creatures also worship God day and night. They focused on God's holiness. So if we summarize chapter 4, we might say that it's a chapter that praises God the Father, God the Lord Almighty, for reigning, for being holy, and for being the creator of all things. Now, as glorious as chapter 4 is, here's where we get to chapter 5. As glorious as chapter 4 is, it is merely the setup. It's merely the stage for the events that begin unfolding in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we come to recognize and realize that God is not alone worshipped. That God Almighty is not worshipped alone. Someone else is worshipped with God Almighty. And it's a lamb. John sees something in God's hand that catches his attention. He sees a scroll that is written on the inside and on the outside. It was a sealed so a scroll sealed with seven seals. And John sees that something is concerning all of heaven. Because all of heaven is wondering who is worthy? Who is worthy to open this scroll? Chapter 5 puts face to face with this This question that that heaven itself is wondering about. Who is worthy to receive the scroll? Now, if we've already read the chapter, the answer will be the Lamb. But the way this chapter unfolds, I'd like for us to look at at three questions as as we get from from posing the question to hearing the answer that the Lamb is worthy to open the scroll, and then what happens afterwards. So if you like taking notes, we're going to go through this chapter by working through three questions. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Second question, what makes Jesus worthy to open the scroll? And the third question will be, what happens when Jesus takes a scroll? What happens when Jesus takes a scroll? Let's look at at the unfolding of this this, chapter. event in chapter 5 that really sets the stage for the rest of the book of Revelation. Who is worthy to open the scroll? We learn quickly that this scroll is very important. How do we know that? Well, for one, because it takes special credentials to open it. When the angel asks this question, who's open to to open the scroll? Who's worthy to open the scroll? He is not asking for a volunteer to just come up. Who's willing to take the scroll? Who would like to sign up to open the scroll? You know, we often do that here in our congregation. There are all kinds of needs in the life of our church. Who would like to serve in the children's ministry? Who would like to serve in the greeter's ministry? Who would like to serve in the music ministry? These are ways in which we we ask you to consider serving. But the angel, when the angel asks this question, who is worthy to open the scroll? He's not simply asking for volunteers. He's not saying who's willing to do it. He's not even saying who's able to do it. Who's worthy to do it? The second way we know this scroll is important is that it belongs in the hand of the king. It sits on the hand of the the one who's on the throne. It includes his decrees. 
He has made decrees related to the coming of His kingdom on earth. Now, how do we know that? Well, if we keep reading in later chapters in the book of Revelation, when the seventh seal is opened, it triggers seven trumpets. And when the seventh trumpet is blown, here is the message that that is being declared in the heavenly realm. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. In other words, a scroll in God's hand unfolds the plan of God to take over the kingdom of the world that is occupied by the beast. And the process of taking over the kingdom of the earth involves plagues and judgments in ways very similar to when God took His people out of Egypt. Before taking them out, God sent against Egypt plagues. And it wasn't just because God wanted to have some fun uh, and have, have some, some visual effects with this rescue mission. It, it wasn't just that. It was a way for God to show that the idols and the gods of Egypt have no power against a God who is able to come and exert an unspeakable power against any kind of pretense of worship. God brings His judgment against a kingdom of the world that is occupied by the beast. And this book will tell us about the unfolding of that. God brings His judgment not because He's evil, but because He is good. Because God is supremely good. He judges evil and rebellion. God brings judgment not because He is a false God. Sometimes when people hear the message that God is, brings judgment, some people say, I want to have nothing to do with that kind of God. Oh, friend, God brings judgment not because He's a false God. God brings judgment because He's a true God who alone is able to expose what is false, to prove it worthless, and to bring all pretense to nothingness. The scroll is important because it will unfold the plans of God to bring about His kingdom in its fullness on the earth and upon the kingdom of the earth that is occupied by the beast. If we keep reading chapters 6 through 8, we learn that the opening of the seven seals of this scroll in chapter 5, the opening of each of those seals brings about the first of the 21 plagues described in this book. Uh, the, the first seven seals trigger, um, the, the seventh seal triggers the seven uh, trumpets, and the blowing of the seventh trumpet also triggers the pouring of the seven bulls of God's wrath. But all of them start with what happens with this scroll that is laying on God's arm as he is sitting on his throne. Who is worthy? To take that kind of scroll, written completely inside and out, being complete in everything that it it decrees, who's who's worthy to take it and to begin opening it? In ancient times, scrolls um, were sometimes used as testaments. And uh, they were sealed. 
Sometimes all it took was, was just one seal to, to seal it. But really important scrolls, really important messages were sealed with more seals. Here we see it, a scroll sealed with seven seals. And part of the breaking of the seal is not only so that you can know what's inside of it. In the case of a testament that was unsealed, it was also a means of saying, we are now executing the testament. We are now putting this testament into effect. Who is worthy to take it and to open it and to bring into effect what is written in it? This is precisely the question raised in in verse 2. And then verse 2 says, Then I saw a a strong angel declaring this question. Now, we know it's Jesus. We're going to get to Jesus. The answer is Jesus. But interestingly, when this event unfolds, we don't get to Jesus right away. Verse 3 tells us that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. In other words, John wants us to understand before we get to the answer that Jesus is worth it. He actually wants to get us, John wants us to see a different answer, another part of an answer. Namely, no one is worth it. And that's important. Sometimes people feel that, hey, I can have Jesus and other things in my life. I can follow Jesus and other kind of teachings, other kind of uh, leaders, other kind of directions in my life. John is in a place where he wants us to see that in this situation, there's no one else who can intervene and step in and, and, and take the scroll. There's no one else, no one in heaven, meaning no angelic being. Imagine not even one of the 24 elders that are sitting on a throne around the throne room of God. Not even one of them was able to step in and take the the scroll. Not even the the four living creatures with, with wings and with eyes all over their wings. Not even one of them was able to come and take the scroll. And John says not even anyone from the earth was able to do it. No king. No religious leader, not even John himself, not even the the beloved disciple, not even he is able to go and take the scroll. Then he says, not even anyone under the earth. In ancient times, this phrase under the earth referred to those who are dead, the spirits of those who are dead. No one from the past could come alive and somehow come and take the scroll. No one. Friends, this truth should humble us, us who are created beings. The unfolding of God's plan to consummate His kingdom. To bring on earth His reign as it is fully in heaven. Those plans do not depend on any created being. No one is found worthy to execute the divine decrees that bring God's judgment and God's redemption fully upon the earth. God does not entrust that authority to any of us. Friends, if you are putting your trust for the future in something or someone else other than Jesus, you are missing out. No other created being can be entrusted with carrying out God's plans to bring about God's reign fully on the earth. No one but Jesus. John begins to weep loudly. Because at this point, he still doesn't know. It's, he's still in the, in the moment 
that no one is able to bring this about. And if no one is able to bring it about, then the promises that God has made in the past will not come to fruition. Then the hopes of God's people for vindication would not happen. Then the prayers of God's people for, for that future restoration would not, would not be brought to pass. John is weeping. But in verse 5, we read, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. In other words, John hears this word from one of the elders, Weep no more. Jesus has conquered. And his conquering gives him the credentials to unfold the remaining decrees that God is about to bring upon the earth. Now, interestingly, the elder refers to Jesus here, not by the name Jesus. Did you notice what are the titles that the elder uh, refers to Jesus here? The lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. Oh, friends, these are Old Testament images. One comes from Genesis 49. The other comes from Isaiah 11. The lion from the tribe of Judah, <laughs> when Jacob blessed his sons, his 12 sons, he described Judah as a lion and prophesied, unbeknownst to him at that time to understand fully all that he, that he was saying, but he, he was speaking prophetically that Judah will rule and conquer like a lion. And Jacob even spoke about one in particular to whom the peoples shall give their obedience. In Jewish circles, the phrase, the lion from the tribe of Judah, became known as a, a messianic image. Uh, the second image that the angel uses is a root of David. Now, you would understand a lion conquers. I, I get the picture. Why is, why is a lion able to open the scroll? He, he's a strong animal. He, a lion conquers, but a root? It's a little surprising. A root. How many of you have been looking for roots? Do you, do you cherish roots? Do you like keeping roots? Do you put them uh, out on display in your house? The root of David. In Isaiah 11, um, the prophet Isaiah speaks about a shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse. The stump of Jesse, the house of, of David has been, has been put out. Has, it's been like a tree that's been cut off. And yet, God says to the prophet Isaiah that a shoot will come out of Jesse. But the angel uses, or the elder uses this picture of, of the stump of Jesse and now speaks not about a shoot coming out of the, of the stump of Jesse, but speaks about a root. This means, dear friends, that it's not merely that this the, the royal image that, that the Messiah is coming out of David, but that actually David is coming out of the Messiah. Both of these images that the, that the elder uses are clearly referring to Jesus, both the pre-existent Son of God and the incarnate Son of God. Only the God-man or the man-God is able to be described in this way. Who is worthy to take the scroll? And the answer is Jesus. 
He is described as a lion. He is described as a root. But thirdly, there's another way Jesus is described, and we're going to get to it. And this is the, the second question, major question we're looking at. The way Jesus is described, what makes Jesus worthy to take the scroll? We saw a hint already. We saw a hint that, that the elder said that the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered. But what exactly did that conquering involve? And, and you can imagine John here, he hears from the elder, the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered the root of David. So John turns around, turns to see who is this person who's going to come and take the scroll. And what John sees is not a lion, not a root. He sees a lamb. The lamb is worthy. The conquering that Jesus experienced did not, did not manifest through the display of power or force like a lion would. Jesus conquered. It is true. He conquered. But not in the way that the world expected. Jesus conquered not as a lion, but as a lamb. When John turns to look at the lion that he expected, because that's what he heard. He sees a lamb. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb. This is important. John hears about the strength of a lion, but sees the victory of a lamb. The most often description of Jesus in the book of Revelation is that he is the lamb. Jesus conquered as a lamb. And if we keep reading in verse 6, we get more information about this lamb. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Slain lambs don't stand anymore. This is a mystery. The one who has been slain is now standing. I love how one of the commentators said about this picture of the lamb. When earthbound men want symbols of power, they conjure up mighty beasts and birds of prey. Russia elevates the bear. Britain, the lion. France, the tiger. The United States, the spread eagle. All of them ravenous. It is only the kingdom of heaven that would dare to use as its symbol of might, not the lion for which John was looking, but the helpless lamb, and at that, as a slain lamb. Describing what John saw, he, see, he sees this lamb, and we, are wonder, we wonder, how is it? In what way has a, has a lamb conquered or, or been victorious? Jesus, we are told, in verse 9, when we get again to hear about why is Jesus worthy to take the scroll, verse 9, it's one, of the, it's one of the new hymns, one of the new songs that is being sung in heaven. Worthy are you to take the scroll. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom 
and priests for our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In other words, the conquering that the Lamb accomplished is not merely a conquering of his own life. It's not merely that he conquered in the sense that he was killed and then he was resurrected himself. That's true. But the conquering doesn't stop there. The conquering that he is praised for in this chapter is a conquering of of a successful ransom mission. A successful rescuing mission. In other words, the lamb was slain and has conquered for the purpose of rescuing people. The The language of ransom is is a language of of rescuing those who have become hostages, those who have become held in bondage. Uh, Oftentimes in rescuing language, we speak about some sort of monetary exchange. But notice what what the elders and the heavenly beings declare that how this lamb ransomed people for God. By what means? By means of his blood. In other words, the Lamb was victorious in ransoming people for God through His blood. And this truth is repeated also by the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, And if you call Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, Jesus has conquered. Jesus has been victorious in his mission to rescue people because he paid with his blood. But notice also that his rescue mission, it's a rescue mission for God. He's ransoming people for God. They're not ransomed for themselves. They're not ransomed so they can now uh, be free to do whatever they want to do with their own lives. They're ransomed for God. And notice what what the Lamb does with those whom He ransoms. Verse 10. You have made them. You have made them. A kingdom. And priests to our God. What an amazing picture of what the Lamb is successful at accomplishing. Not merely breaking the bonds of bondage, but actually making the people He rescues and ransoms. He makes them a kingdom. Collectively, they are now a a kingdom, a place where the reign of God is manifested, a means by which the reign of God is made visible. They're made a kingdom, and more so, not just a kingdom, they're also made priests. This means, dear friends, that I am not a priest by myself. I know we have other elders here as well, but according to this Bible, all those that Christ redeems are made priests for God. You are priests for God. We together are a community of priests for God. Now take that to the Roman Catholic Church.
This, dear friends, means that when we think about the Lamb accomplishing the rescue mission, it is a rescue mission so that those held in bondage to the beast, to the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of self-centeredness, to the kingdom of addictions, to the kingdom of, of everything that is rebellious against the Creator, God takes people who have been hostages to that kingdom, and now He makes them makes them display cases of what it means to be the realm where God reigns. To be the realm that serves God. Kingship and priesthood is what we get when the Lamb is successful at ransoming people by His blood. If you are a Christian, dear friends, have you considered that salvation, our salvation, It's not merely an emotional experience. It's not merely a human decision that is temporarily experienced. Those whom Jesus ransomed, they become God's kingdom. They become God's priests. All true followers of Jesus become enlisted to be priests and members of this kingdom. If you are a Christian, you're beginning to experience the reign of God in this world through your life. Same truth is told to us in Revelation 1.5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Friends, the salvation that Jesus accomplishes is not merely to leave us for ourselves. It's a salvation that gets us to be a kingdom for God and priests for Him, to serve Him. Do you look at your life this way? Do you look at your salvation in this way? That is not so that you can do whatever you want, but so that you can finally do whatever God wants. This is what the Lamb is successful at accomplishing through the shedding of His blood. But he is a lamb who is successful, who has conquered, not only for himself, he has conquered for the people of God. But he is also not just a weak lamb. He's a lamb with seven horns and with seven eyes. Now friends, in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, and particularly in the book of Revelation, the horn is often used as a symbol of power and dominion. To have here a lamb with seven horns is a lamb who is powerful. A lamb who has dominion. And to have seven eyes, don't try to paint this picture. It doesn't work. A lamb with seven eyes, a picture of, of, all of the eyes here is that he is able to know all things. He's able to see all things. In Revelation, the number seven is a number of perfection or completeness. He's able to know things completely and perfectly. Yes, he is a lamb who has been slain, but he's victorious He is strong. He is all-knowing. That's why Jesus is worthy to take the scroll. The Lamb in the rest of the book of Revelation is not merely a picture of this calm animal that you can touch and just treat as a pet. If you keep looking in the book of Revelation, we will see that all creation 
is actually terrified of the wrath of the Lamb that he will bring. Revelation 6, just the next chapter. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 17, where God's enemies finally say they will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Friends, Christ is presented in this book as a Lamb because he was slain. But he's not vulnerable. He's powerful. He's full of strength. And as a lamb, he has given his blood to be shed so that those whom he rescues will be safe and protected by him. Friend, if you have not yet trusted your life to this lamb, I want to encourage you today to turn to him. If you turn to him by confessing your sin and trust in his sacrifice, he will make you as well a part of his kingdom and make you a priest so that you would serve him. He will keep you until the very end. Jesus is worthy not only to take the scroll and open it. Jesus is worthy to to do one final thing. Or he's worthy of one final aspect. And this is what we get in the third question of this passage. What happens when Jesus takes the scroll? What happens when Jesus takes the scroll? We saw who is worthy to to open the scroll. We looked at the... Why is Jesus worthy to take and open the scroll? Finally, what happens when Jesus takes a scroll? The verse that we get is in verse 8. When, we, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Now remember, we're still, the setting here is a throne room of God. These 24 elders are sitting around the throne. They, in chapter 4, they have been casting their crowns before the throne of God. But notice at this moment, when the Lamb takes a scroll, notice what these 28 creatures, the 24 plus the 4, notice what they do. They all of a sudden bow down and worship. Not just the one who sits on the throne, but the Lamb. This is one of the most clear signs in the New Testament that Jesus is God. He is equally God. He is not identical to God. There's still two people or two beings. There's the one who sits on the throne and there's the Lamb. They're not identical. You can't mix them as if you can. they just take different forms, one or the other. The, the oneness Pentecostals would try to have us think that God the Father and God the Son are, are just different manifestations of one being. They're not different manifestations of one being. They're different persons. They're different entities. And yet together they're equally worshipped. They're one God in two different beings or persons. What happens when Jesus takes a scroll from the one who is sitting on the throne? Jesus is worshipped point here is that when we see the Lamb move to start unfolding, to take the scroll and begin unfolding it, heaven explodes in worship. These verses speak so loudly about the deity of Christ. Later, one of the angels of the book in uh, in Revelation, one of the angels um, 
is so magnificent to John that John falls down and worships before the angel. And, and the, worship, the angel immediately says, do not fall down before me. Do not worship me. I am just a mere creature like you. Worship God. In the book of Revelation, the only ones who are allowed to be worshipped legitimately are the ones sitting on the throne and the Lamb. The worship of Jesus is not limited only to the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Besides the worship that they give, there's more worship going on. In verse 11 through 14, we hear that all the angelic beings um, are coming around to worship the Lord. Then I looked, verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands, a way of saying, there's so many you cannot count them. And do you ever wonder what the angels of heaven preoccupy themselves with in terms of singing, what they sing and worship God with and for? These two chapters, chapter 4 and chapter 5, are perhaps the richest passages that tell us about the hymns and the songs that are being sung in heaven. But here in verse, in verse 9 and then verse 11, we see this, this newness. In verse, in verse 9, we see that it's a new song that's being sung. In verse 11, the, all the angels now proclaim the worthiness to the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. If you counted these, you got seven. This is a list of a, of a complete list. It's not just about these seven. It's about the fact that it's a complete list of all the things that, that the angels and, and the heavenly beings are ascribing to Jesus, to the Lamb. But you know what? They're not the only ones who are worshiping. If we keep reading, verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Friends, as we look at these descriptions, we notice that there are different audiences. Initially just the 24 plus the 4 around the throne. Then a host of angelic beings that you cannot count. And then finally, all creation on earth, under the earth, in the waters, on everywhere. All creation is ascribing this worship to God. As we look at these, I wonder, are we, are any of us, willing to ascribe what you think that you deserve to yourself and for yourself? Think about it this way. All the power that we want. Are you willing to say, all power be to Him? What about the wealth? These angelic beings are saying, all wealth belong to Him. What about the wisdom? All wisdom belong to Him. The might, the honor. Friends, these beings, these angelic beings, declare that Jesus and the one who's on the throne deserve to receive them all. And all of these are things that we actually want for ourselves. In the corruption of sin, we each 
want the glory, the honor, the wealth, the wisdom, the power, the might. These are things that, that we as created beings, we want for ourselves. And here is heaven itself. And then all creation saying, this is what worship is. It's taking that which we want for ourselves and ascribing it to the one who alone is worthy of it all. Friends, it's easy to say religious words even in prayers of praise. It's easy to to say things like, I praise you, O God. It's more difficult to let your heart genuinely ascribe to God what you secretly want for yourself. Are there ways in which you either openly or secretly desire to have the blessing, the honor, the glory, the might, the wisdom for yourself? Or even by yourself? Friends, when we consider the great plan of redemption that God has designed and Jesus executed, it can lead our hearts to ascribe all of it to God and to the Lamb alone. Who is worthy to open the scroll? The answer is the Lamb is worthy. What makes Jesus take the scroll, worthy to take the scroll? The answer is he conquered through being slain so that by his blood he rescued people for God and made them a kingdom and priests. And what happens when Jesus takes a scroll? All creation ascribes worship to Jesus and to God. I love how John Piper said the human heart was made to stand in awe of ultimate excellence. You were made to admire Jesus Christ, the Son of God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, and Lords of Lords. If your heart is not much taken up with Him, then you don't need to look any further to know the deepest source of your frustration. In this passage that we have just looked at this morning, we received a picture of the grandeur, not just of God who is sitting on the throne, but the grandeur of Jesus Christ, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb standing, even though he had been slain. He's conquerous, he's victorious, conquering and able to bring to God a people so that they might be his kingdom and priests forever and ever. To this kind of God, to this kind of Lamb, we want to ascribe all glory, all majesty, all power and dominion, not to us, but to Him. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we recognize that it is only because of Jesus Christ, the slain Lamb, that we have any right that we have any confidence, that we have any ability or desire to worship you, to seek you, to, to be a part of your kingdom, to serve you as your priests. Father, we pray that our hearts might be moved to appreciate the greatness of Christ, of what he has done to make us such, to make us conquerors, to make us victorious, It's not because we have done anything of ourselves, but because of Christ and his blood shed for us. We pray, O Lord, enable us to worship you freely and fully and gloriously.
because of what the Lamb has done for us. It is in His name that we pray. Amen.